Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. <laughs> I just checked the time counter <laughs> for working on this episode and I forgot to turn it off the other day. <laughs> so it says I've been working on this for 79 hours straight. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, I have not been working on it for 79 hours straight. Or have I? Hey kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy madrid Sikich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. Today, we are diving into the whimsical world of Franz Schubert's song, Ganymede, with text by Goethe, and we get to do that using two of my very favorite storytelling methods, a Greek mythology and space facts. Ready for the scoop? You'll see why that pun is funny later on. Here we go. Usually we start with the text, but today we are going to do things a bit differently because, well... It's my podcast, and that's what I want to do. <laughs> Our story begins with Ganymede, a prince of Troy who spent time in the fields tending to his sheep. But he was not just any old shepherd prince. No, he was the most handsome shepherd prince in the entire world. To quote Homer, Ganymede was the loveliest born of the race of mortals. Homer's Iliad, Book 20, Line 233. Ganymede was so beautiful, in fact, that he caught the eye of none other than Zeus, that adorable, humanity-terrorizing, thunderbolt-throwing king of the gods we all know and love? Question mark? Zeus found Ganymede to be so attractive, in fact, that even though the young man was a mere mortal, Zeus just couldn't imagine life without him. Problematic? Maybe. Typical behavior for the gods of Olympus? Definitely. Now, here's where things get wild. Zeus, being the king of the gods, has some serious power. So what does he do? Does he teleport Ganymede, which would be the easiest and most logical solution, up to Mount Olympus? No. 
Instead, he takes the scenic tour, transforms into a majestical eagle, and snatches up Ganymede like some sort of divine Uber ride. But seriously, I can't imagine Ganymede calling down to Earth, uh, Mom, not gonna be home for dinner. Ganymede isn't just a captive, no. Zeus was so smitten that he made Ganymede his personal cupbearer. There are differing accounts about whether Ganymede was into this or not, but for our purposes, we are going with Goethe's telling of the story, and he paints Ganymede as a willing and eager participant in this ascension to a higher existence. Once in the heavens, Zeus appoints Ganymede as cupbearer to the gods, a status which confers upon him the virtue of immortality. Imagine that. You're just chilling with your sheep in a field, and suddenly you are serving drinks to the king of the gods. <laughs> Quite the promotion, if you ask me. So, what does any of this have to do with space? Didn't I promise you some space facts? Well, calm down, kids, because here I go. Did you know that the largest moon of our solar system is named... Can you guess? Ganymede. Ganymede is one of the four Galilean moons of Jupiter. And in case you didn't know, Jupiter has an astonishing 79 moons. Though the Galilean moons are the largest and were the first to be discovered. In fact, there was a little old-timey feud over who actually discovered them first. So buckle up for a good old-fashioned scientific spat story. You know, your favorite kind. Back in the early 17th century, two brilliant dudes, Galileo Galilei and Simon Marius, were both eyeballing the sky and aiming their telescopes at Jupiter. They were like, hey, what's up with that big old planet over there? Now, both Galileo and Marius noticed something mind-blowing. They saw these tiny little dots orbiting around Jupiter, just four little moons doing their cosmic dance. Watching these moons orbit Jupiter was a groundbreaking discovery that shattered the belief that everything in the heavens revolved around the Earth. So the theory had come up that perhaps the Earth wasn't the center of the universe, but this was the first real proof that the universe was not, in fact, geocentric. Galileo published his findings first, and he named those four moons after the powerful Medici family, who were his patrons. He said, yo, world, I found these moons, and they're called the Medician stars, which, personally, I think we can all agree on this, is a dumb name, because they are not stars, they are moons. But, once again, no one asked me. But wait, hold up. Simon Marius claimed that he actually spotted those same moons around Jupiter at the same time as Galileo. He said, hey, I saw those suckers too, and I named them differently. Suckers, in case you're wondering, is like professional astronomy terminology. So just, just in case there are any questions. Marius called the moons Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto after mythological figures. Mythological figures that were all raped by Zeus, but no time to get into that here. Now, this led to a 
big old feud between Galileo and Marius, and the shade-throwing became quite significant, each accusing the other of being a copycat and trying to steal the thunder of discovery. Terms like old adversary, poisonous reptile, and enemy of all mankind were thrown around. It's just space, guys. No need for (laughs) name-calling. Eventually, Galileo's claim to fame was widely recognized and accepted, probably due to the fact that he actually published his findings. Plus, the Medici family had a bit more clout than the mythological figures. Now, gonna keep it real, this next paragraph is lifted straight from Wikipedia. And I quote, Because of Galileo's stature in the scientific community, for nearly 300 years, Marius's reputation was tainted by Galileo's accusations. However, a jury in the Netherlands in 1903 examined the evidence extensively and ruled in favor of Marius's independent discoveries, with results published by Bosch in 1907. Apparently, Marius discovered the moons independently, but did not start keeping notes until 29 December 1609. Marius used the Julian calendar, and that date is equivalent to 8 January 1610 in the Gregorian one used by Galileo, one day after Galileo's letter in which he first described the moons. Regardless of priority, the mythological names by which these satellites are known today, Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, are those given them by Marius. End quote. Couldn't have put it better myself, Wikipedia, which is why I did not put it myself. Now, back to Ganymede. Ganymede holds the distinguished title of the largest moon in our entire solar system. In fact, it's even larger than the planet Mercury. And here is the coolest fact of all. Astronomers suspect that beneath its icy surface, Ganymede holds a vast internal ocean that contains more water than all the oceans of the Earth combined. And God, my brain just wants to explode a little bit when I think about this, because just as the Ganymede of mythology was cupbearer to the king of the gods, so this Ganymede, the moon, is a cupbearer of literal oceans of water to the king of the planets. How cool is that? It's probably about time that we wind our way to some music for today. That's what you're all here for anyway. Right? So let's set the scene. It's the early 19th century, and our boy Franz Schubert is feeling inspired. He's got a poem by Goethe in his hands and a tune in his heart. So why don't we turn to the poem itself? Here is a translation from the German generously granted to us by Emily Isust. How in the morning light you glow around me, beloved spring. With love's thousandfold bliss to my heart presses the internal warmth of sacred feelings and endless beauty. Would that I could clasp you in these arms. Ah, at your breast I lie and languish, and your flowers and your grass press themselves to my heart. 
You cool the burning thirst of my breast, lovely morning wind. The nightingale calls lovingly to me from the misty veil. I am coming, I am coming, but whither, to where? Upwards I strive, upwards. The clouds float downwards, the clouds bow down to yearning love. To me, to me, in your lap upwards. Embracing, embraced, upwards to your bosom, all loving father. Ganymede is swept up in a whirlwind of emotions, and as you're about to hear, the music reflects it all. It's a virtual roller coaster of bliss through the natural world and up, up, and away into the transcendence of the heavens. Before we turn to the music, however, I did want to say a little bit about the Greek practice of pederasty because, well, it's kind of unavoidable in this context. The concept of pederasty in ancient Greece refers to what was then a socially accepted relationship between an adult male, the Erastes, and an adolescent male, the Eromenos, often in an educational or mentorship context, but also, yes, a sexual context. It influenced Greek culture, but opinions on it varied. It may have originated from initiation rituals and was part of the Greek homosocial culture. Pederasty was both idealized and criticized, and its extent differed based on location and individual preferences. In the context of Goethe's poem Ganymede, it's important to note that while Goethe was obviously influenced by classical Greek literature and mythology, and the poem does contain elements that can be interpreted as alluding to the concept of pederasty, Goethe's take on the whole thing really focuses on Ganymede being seduced by nature, by the beauty of the physical world. In the poem, while Ganymede is depicted as a young and beautiful figure, which aligns with the idealized physical qualities often associated with Eromenos in pederastic relationships, and while the language used to describe the intense emotions experienced by the speaker can be interpreted as reflecting the admiration and desire that characterized pederastic relationships, I think the point of the poem perhaps is the transcendent spirituality of becoming one with nature. But why not throw some spicy sexual innuendo in there? You know, for fun. Back to the music. The song begins simply. A delicate piano introduction like a gentle breeze caresses your eardrums. It's peaceful yet plucky, setting the stage for the magic to come. The pastoral sensibility seems to hint at an easygoing familiarity and comfort with the natural world. The left hand plays a simple pattern while the right hand plays a sensuous melody, lingering in all the right places. This is interesting. The published version is marked etwas langsam, somewhat slowly, and is in common time. However, while the original autograph has been lost, there are two copies in existence, and both are marked 
etwas geschwind and a la breve, so somewhat fast and into two time. Anyone who has spent time with this song knows that it truly does need to be felt into two time to not get bogged down. At a slow tempo, this could become heavy, laborious, but everything about the character of Ganymede and the articulation of the left hand seems to point to a sprightly quality of sound. Then the vocal melody enters and it heightens the sensuous sensibility and adds an element of anticipation, desire even. Next, the piano begins to play with some eroticism. I, I mean some chromaticism. <laughs> it's almost as if the pianist is trying to feel the keys as much as possible to increase that tactile sense of pleasure at experiencing the physical reality. I love about all this sexiness is that it does feel somehow innocent, something wondrous to be experienced, unfettered from prudish restraint, but not slimy or sleazy, pervy or predatory. It's true desire in its purest light form. You'll hear this figure when the text says, would that I could clasp you in these arms. Ah, at your breast lie and languish, and your flowers and grass press themselves to my heart. And if that doesn't sound like languishing in the lap of nature, I'm not sure what would. Shortly after, we hear the poet say, You cool the burning thirst in my breast, lovely morning wind. And the thirst for coolness is represented thusly. Then begins one of the most exhilarating might I say titillating passages in all of Leader. The morning wind continues in a short piano interlude. Followed by the call of the nightingale. And then, well, the only word I can think of to describe the next section is orgasmic. And also, I'm not lying when I say the text literally says, I am coming, I am coming, which has the same sexual connotation in both German and English. Ich komme, ich komme. So, never let anyone tell you that classical music is boring, because it's not. And here is the proof. Oh, 
the wonderful thing about this section is that we get to experience the climax not once, but twice. A really great choice on Schubert's part. We get to revel in the rapturous ecstasy all over again. And then the ending is perfection in musical form as the piano plays higher and higher, disappearing behind the clouds aloft in the heavens. Ganymede has transcended. I am probably more excited for you kids to hear this song than maybe any other song we've covered on the podcast so far. So here to sing Ganymede for us today is Kareen Cowling. We're just going to jump right to it and I'll give you a little bio about Kareen after we hear the song. So Kareen, please transport us to the next plane of existence.
singing Schubert's Ganymede. Corrine is an Australian-born soprano and actress, currently based in the UK. Recent engagements include Christine Daye, first cover, on London's West End in the original production of Lloyd Webber's, I almost read that in German, Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera at Her Majesty's Theatre and performances in major concert halls across the UK as soprano soloist for the Johann Strauss Gala National UK Tour. 2017, 18, and 19. Winning first place at the Franz Schubert Prize at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, Corinne was awarded a place on the Franz Schubert Institute Master Course in Austria, working closely with industry professionals, including Elie Ameling, Julius Drake, Roger Vignoles, and Helmut Deutsch. Corinne holds a postgraduate certificate in vocal pedagogy from the University of Wales Trinity St. David The Voice Study Centre, a Master's of Music in Vocal Performance from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, London, which is how I met her. Corinne, we can't thank you enough for lending your incomparable talent to our podcast today. And listeners, thank you for tuning into this wild ride today through the myth of Ganymede, where the gods go gaga for handsome mortals and turn them into celestial bartenders. If you haven't had enough Ganymede in your life, then you just might want to try singing with me. You can find my accompaniment on YouTube. I'm there as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Just click on the Leader Accompaniments playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. 
Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.